From the Omaha Bugle Global News Headquarters, this is the Global News Network with Senior Correspondent Jeff Weaver and Senior Correspondent Adam Von Romer. Well, good afternoon. All right, Mr. Weaver. It's that time for breaking the news. (laughs) There's a lot of news to break. But first, I would be amiss if I did not go through the disclaimers and uh, legal things that we have to mention at the start of each broadcast. No reproduction or all or part of the content of this program may be reproduced or disseminated in any way, shape, or form without the express written consent of the Omaha Bugle Limited Liability Company. All rights are reserved and copyrighted, and we do retain some very nasty lawyers to go after people who ignore this and refuse to pay us cash for the content. There we go. (laughs) You just can't not be an attorney, can you? (laughs) Well, this is valuable intellectual property. What of value do you have to lead off with this session? What do you have for me? Well, I don't know about value, but there's so many things going on today, which is due to our superb fortune at living in an era that's run by the regime that these days, because it gives you so much to talk about, and it frankly makes me feel much better about myself when compared to the people who are running the country. I'm marveling at the headline that we're going to legislate inflation. Oh, you're talking about the Inflation Reduction Act. Just out of curiosity, how does an Inflation Reduction Act work? Well, I think there's sort of a gap in the causal reasoning that goes on here. They appropriate a lot of money that they don't have, in this right. case, several hundred billion dollars, most of which is earmarked for patrons, industries that have supported political operatives in Washington. Mm-hmm. And you then give it to them, and then a miracle occurs, and the inflation rate goes down. So somehow, contrary to what our former colleague Milton Friedman used to say, who was, of course, famous, inflation is everywhere and at all times a monetary phenomenon. Shortly put, more money you throw in the economy without an increase in output, the more inflation you have. Honestly, there does not seem to be a lot of economic acumen at the highest levels of government these days. It really strikes me that it's more like the Titanic deck where they're just doing whatever they want to do, totally oblivious to what's going on around them. And (laughs) perhaps it's born of the idea that let's just get whatever we can do in case we do get really steamrolled in the mid term. I guess I don't really know how easy it is to undo these things after the fact, but you'll still have Biden in the White House vetoing any attempt to undo them. So I guess that works. My thought process is that you're going to create a piece of legislation to basically try and harness what amounts to economic wind. An interesting choice here, because I, I give that too. There is a certain flatulence to the whole process. But, uh... It's bluster, for sure. And I think wishful thinking at worst. I mean, I don't understand how you could possibly legislate out or control the animal spirits in the marketplace. Well, I don't think these people really care. Uh, I think it's, a, frankly, a bit of a payoff to patrons, allies, supporters. Problem, of course, which you and I have discussed, being the learned folks that we are, is that you can do what, everything you want. You can for the country in solar panels, and you're just not going to be able to make up the gap that the fossil fuel supply. And, of course, a lot of these people are pro-solar and wind, although they don't want the windmills anywhere near their own homes. Of course not. Not in my back. Imagine ringing the Capitol Hill with a wind farm. It would be like That's the Netherlands idea. or something. I mean, literally, it's like, okay, we're going to... We're going to legislate the flow of water. How do you do that? 
problem it gets back to is it's very much a wishful thinking kind of exercise. Your solar and wind and geothermal are, what, 15% at best of your energy sources, and then the fossil and nuclear makes up the difference. And, of course, a lot of these people aren't going to like nuclear. Well, what do mm-hmm. you do? And mm-hmm. the funny thing, of course, as we all know, is that many of these people like to go to very fancy conferences in Switzerland and talk about all these problems in their private jets mm-hmm. and, of course, have a much bigger carbon footprint than rebel rousers such as you and I. My recollection was, I think, didn't Nancy Pelosi take Air Force jet somewhere, like $33,000 an hour on some kind of junket? Yeah, I think she did. She may have taken that on her recent trip to Taiwan as well. To be fair, her son Paul was riding with her, so he did have to take up an extra seat. They didn't get a plane individually. They all got on the same plane. Well, she did sacrifice in that sense. At least he got let on, along with 30 or 40 aides and staff, and of course the news people went along. So thank thinking, God. Is that permissible to have a... Is she the minority yeah. speaker? Is it legally permissible to have the majority speaker and her son on the same plane? I don't know. We should ask President Biden, because apparently he and Hunter go joyriding on Air Force One periodically, or, or maybe it was Air Force Two. I don't know if he's been on Air Force One with President Biden as president. But the whole idea of uh, Nancy in a plane, you know, to get back to this whole Taiwan visit, which is kind of interesting to me, that I guess she was scheduled to hit a half dozen countries in Asia and then the idea of going to Taiwan cropped up. And, of course, the Chinese who like to be hysterical about anything that they don't like. There's no middle ground with them. It's just either nothing or threatening war and positives. Mm-hmm. They, of course, were not uh, heavily in favor of it. But Nancy went anyways. And I guess the question I have for you, Mr. Von Romer, is what do you think, if anything, was accomplished by it? Did she do a good thing? Uh, obviously, we're on one side of the spectrum. She's on the other side. Do we think it was a good thing? But your take on it? I'm just curious as to what vital strategic interest do we have in Taiwan? Other than us showing our support for the Taiwanese people in the face of, face it, Chinese aggression, you know, and saber rattling, less expensive toys? Well, they, they are a source of a lot of semiconductors. Okay. I mean, they manufacture some very large percent, I think it's like around 40% of the world's total, but big chunk of what we apparently import comes from Taiwan. So I guess that's one thing, certainly. But we don't have and, and you think, or anything. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think that Nancy Pelosi was out there talking to the chip manufacturers about, you know, like most favored nation trade status? or Because I, I certainly no. haven't seen or heard anything about that. I don't think she was there long enough to do it. I think she met the leaders there and was mm-hmm. off. I don't think she was, I frankly don't even think she was there overnight, but I could be wrong on that. I, I don't recall. Her trip recalls the Clinton Strategic Reserve little scandal that went on a couple of years ago, where we allowed a Chinese company to buy the only mining and manufacturing rare earth metal company in the country. Yeah, I don't think it was uranium. I think it was one of the materials. And, and, and believe me, I am not an expert on chemical compositions or what it is. But I remember reading an article that the rare earth magnets that are used in GPSs and things were, they actually come from two places on the planet, and it was like China, and I want to say it was somewhere like Utah, and because it was used in guidance systems and GPS and all kinds of things like that, it was considered to be a strategic material to the United States. I'm not fact-checking this stuff, but under the condition of the article, we were and are not allowed to sell an interest or any part thereof, shall we say, in a strategic material to a 
foreign government. And apparently, the then Secretary Clinton discovered a way to work around that by having them create a company here in the United States that was domiciled in the United States, but was a wholly owned subsidiary of another company that was owned by the Chinese government. Yeah, and apparently what they did was they bought the plant, they closed the plant, and they moved all of the strategic operations to China. Now, let me tell you how this directly impacted me. I had fantasies of getting a brand new Ford pickup truck, and they were making me a generous offer for my current pickup truck. You gotta love a pickup truck. The problem was they wanted to buy my truck, but they couldn't get me a new truck because they couldn't get chips to put in the truck to basically control, I guess, the fuel system and whatnot, because the Chinese had shut down exportation of those chips. And I think it was over some kind of trade dispute. Yeah, the next question I have is, if we can't run F-150s, what about our aircraft, our missile guidance system? Well, I think that was one of the arguments behind that chips bill that just got signed. But, you know, as with everything else that gets signed, so much stuff gets globbed into it that may have good intentions at the beginning, but it morphs into something that is a lot of other stuff. But the concern in Washington with trying to source back to the United States all of these critical supply lines of supply sources, mm -hmm. and you and I would both have a very much of a view to be as self-sufficient as possible because we don't really trust Chinese, the Russians, the Iranians, well, the North Koreans. Listen, they, some of those people are very, very lovely people, but politically, they're pretty much diametrically opposed to our way of life. Now, really quickly, you and I have had this conversation a couple hundred times, I'm sure, about my platform for when I take over as a benevolent dictator. The first thing that I'm going to do is I am going to literally reopen the pipelines. But more importantly, I am going to stop paying farmers in the Midwest to not farm. What I'm intending to do is develop biofuels using all of that fallow ground lying between, let's say, L.A. and New York. Put biodiesel and biofuel plants up, thereby creating jobs in the Midwest, maybe even located around something like the Rust Belt, which has taken a beating over the last 50 years, and reduce, if not eliminate, our dependency on foreign adversarial oil exporters. Let them try and eat that stuff. God bless you, boys. Have at it. Keep your oil. We got corn. Well, Adam, I think we should point out to the CIA and the FBI and everybody else that's listening to this broadcast that your rise as benevolent dictator will be peaceful, will be due to elections of some type, and you're not condoning the overthrow of the U.S. government in a violent manner. Yet of course. That goes, in there. that goes without saying. As soon as the NSA hears it, I fully expect four SUVs to surround my house, and I'll be swatted. I'll be carted out of here, you know, blindfolded. And our next broadcast may be from Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> I will review the Caribbean. I think the more likely thing, quite frankly, is you get audited for the next 30 years, and it never ends. They'll audit you for years that haven't come yet. I'll be audited to death, probably. But yes, um, we've got you know, Nancy Pelosi jetting off to Asian countries. Well, well it's a geographical yeah. term. It's, I don't think it's a... Okay. Uh, let's face it, she probably needed some flyer models to move up to the next level. Could have gotten <laughs> yeah. there. Her passport stamped in Taiwan. I guess they must have a passport stamp there, right? It's an independent well, country. Yeah, but China does she... Yeah, I was going to say, does she require one because of her status in the, the government? But I think it is interesting that her son went. I don't know if the her husband went, who we know had some recent issues with driving his car, and I guess he was stopped on a DUI suspicion. So, But they probably wouldn't have been oh. in the cockpit to drive the plane anyway. Yeah, that reminds me of that little adventure we had down here at MIA where they arrested the like six pilots for flying while intoxicated. They were stopping in at 
the Admiral's Lounge and getting a little pre-takeoff takeoff, if you know what I mean. A little pick-me-up. And it was funny because they go in and they arrest these guys, but they arrest them on the plane. They didn't arrest them like gangway or anything. They actually let them board the plane and then the stewardesses smelled alcohol on them and then decided to call in the gendarmerie and have them check them out. But I can see as an issue. I mean, you're flying from here to L.A. And Attention, ladies and gentlemen. This is your pilot speaking. We're making an unscheduled stop in Wichita because we've run out of olives for our martinis here in the cockpit. Please fasten your seatbelts and observe the non-smoking signs at all times. And have a um, lovely well, day. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, you're flying the friendly skies. My last two flights, I've noticed a lot of turbulence. So I'm kind of wondering if we the piloting may be a little off or something. Oh, hold on. Uh, turbulence? Now, was that in the plane or outside the plane? Well, I felt it either way. Somebody slumped in the cockpit or something. I don't know. But. As I say, the last time I flew, it almost ended up in like an insurrection because the seats were so close together. It was a new concept. You mentioned that because I heard that surprisingly the airlines have been shrinking the seats over the years and you and I are not what we call petite people and I know that I can't <laughs> sit in the seat without my knees going numb hitting the uh, seat in front of me and apparently it's not just my imagination that they've been shrinking the space between front of your seat and the back of the seat in front of you over the last 15 years. Now the interesting thing is the FAA apparently is taking public input to decide if there should be standards for how. So what I understand is is that 2011, the distance between, oh, I'm sorry, it's the distance between the back of one seat and the back of the next seat. It's not, it, the measurement is not. Yeah, I was going to say, it makes no difference because the backs are connected to the fronts, and if you move the seat yeah. four inches forward, you lose four inches no matter how you slice it. Four inches per seat, and how many rows do you add to the plane? Like, you three or four? Oh, you didn't do the Oh, I got to believe time. Yeah, maybe five or I've six I've got to prove that. Just waiting for the day when they start doing what we would call double seating, where sit on somebody's lap and there's a dual seatbelt. <laughs> and uh hope you're prepared. I took the last flight I took. Now, I mean, you've known me for years, and I'm not ashamed to say this, but I, I wear a 6XL shirt. You're I'm really kind of, I mean, you know, you can't, you can't well, I was a power lifter. I was, I'm four feet wide, basically. So when I sit in one of those seats, I sit in all three of the seats because I overlap just shoulders alone. I overlap both seats on either side of me. I'd say by a good four inches. And it's like if they shrink the leg room, which is already tight for me, 